Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Today, we have Stephanie Miller. She's the author of the book Zero Waste Living and founder of Zero Waste Indice. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Lucia. It's so great to be here. It's my pleasure. So, Stephanie, how did you get involved actively with sustainability and waste reduction? Yes, so I've actually been interested in conservation and zero waste, well, even before I knew the term zero waste, for as long as I can remember. Uh, But for my entire adult life, I've been a busy person. And I didn't feel I had the time to do the things that were good for the environment when I was busy in my work. And in fact, I felt this way while I was the director of climate change at the private sector part of the World Bank. So it was actually my job to help government and private sector get on a more sustainable path. Mm -hmm. But in my own life, I often felt I wasn't doing a good enough job And then a couple of years ago, after 25 intense years in the same organization, I left my job and I decided to take a gap year, as I called it. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly found myself with time on my hands. And I decided I'd use that extra time to try to figure out how I could reduce my own personal waste and carbon footprint. So the first thing I did was something I'd been meaning to do for a really long time. I'd always been bothered by the huge amount of plastic that I was disposing of every week when I came back from the dry cleaners. And so I I asked my dry cleaners if they'd place my own uh, clean clothes into a garment bag that I had that was reusable instead of the plastic. And long story short is this led them to adopt a a program where they were offering reusable bags to their customers. And a few months later, this really took off. And today I think about a third of their customers use these reusable bags instead of the plastic. So that really led me to wonder what else I could do to get rid of the plastic and the waste in my life. And, And that's really how I stumbled on the zero waste concept just published a book, Zero Waste Living, the 80-20 way. So what does the 80-20 way look like when it comes to zero waste? Yes. So first, I should probably define zero waste. Uh, It's a very simple thing. It basically means that you consume less and waste less. And, and what I really liked about the concept when I came across it is that it intersects with so many other movements. It intersects with the minimalist movement mm-hmm. uh, for, for obvious reasons, you're buying less, you're keeping less. It uh, intersects with the movement to protect marine um, life, uh, protect the oceans. And it intersects with climate change, which I spent so much of my career working on. So when I learned about this concept of zero waste, I was really uh, drawn in. 
Mm-hmm. I read everything I could on the subject. I did a lot of research. I was really inspired by these zero waste gurus who somehow managed to fit their entire family's annual trash into one glass mason jar. And so I was inspired. I did a lot of the things that they suggested, but I also realized that I was going to have to go back to work after a year. And I was starting to feel a bit overwhelmed by everything I would have to do to try to maintain this low waste lifestyle life for myself Mm -hmm. and my family. And then I recalled this concept that we used to use in my workplace all the time, the 80-20 rule. And this is the idea that not all actions are equal, that some are more impactful. So we used to say, you know, 80% of our business came from 20% of our clients. So I decided I'd try to figure out what's the 80-20 rule for zero waste living. I did a lot more research to try to find the all the actions that fit two boxes. One was they had to be easy because it had to fit into the busy lifestyle that I had and I was going to have again. And they had to be really impactful, really positively impactful. So I settled on three areas that I, I call the magic three, food, plastics, and recycling. And I, I wrote this book because I realized how easy it is to live this way. And I wished that that busy person that I was two years ago, um, knew what I know today. And that's why I wrote the book so that other busy people could get to the 80% of, of zero waste. Do you consider yourself a zero waste? I don't think anyone is zero waste. I think today in our society, uh, whether it's in the U.S. or whether it's in Spain, it's impossible to be zero waste. It's just the entire way our economy is structured, we package everything. Um, So I do the best I can. And I think I've gotten 80% there. So no, I am, I'm not zero waste. But I do know that my household is responsible for much less waste than it was a couple of years ago, and that our carbon footprint is much, much smaller than it used to be. And I mean, if you just look at the trash, the waste, the recycling aspect, Uh, everyone in my household, my fiance and my son, when he was living with us, would notice how much less trash we were bringing to the curb every week. So no, I would say I'm, I'm not, I'm not zero waste, but I don't think anyone can be zero waste. The important thing is to do the best thing, the best things you can with the time that you have. Yes, I believe so. And, uh, like you transitioned, yeah, to this new lifestyle And was it difficult, even though you were not 100% zero waste, like you were not zero waste, but this transition was difficult for you? It, you know, it wasn't that difficult because I started off small. And I think that's what I recommend for everyone is you pick the really easy, the low hanging fruit, the things you can do right away. And then for me, and I think for a lot of the people I know, it becomes a bit of a game. You move from really noticing how some of the small changes make a difference, and then you want to make a bigger difference and a bigger difference until you really get all the things out of your life that are creating the packaging that you don't need. And you start to reduce food waste, which is such an important piece of this puzzle. Food waste contributes to a very large amount of greenhouse gas emissions. And I I, I don't think even in all my years of working on climate, I recognized 
how important food waste was to the climate change problem. Mm -hmm. And also, I absolutely had no idea how much waste food waste happens at the household level. In the US, we uh, at the household level contribute to 40% of the problem. So it's a it's a really big deal. Uh, So I, I, my recommendation is always to start with the quick wins. And Mm -hmm. I can give you a few examples if you want, please. Please, it will be very good to hear from you about it. So on plastic, I always say, pick one thing, pick one thing that you know you use in plastic, single-use plastic packaging on a frequent basis, say every day or at least every week. There's almost always a plastic-free alternative if you're willing to try it. For me, it was the plastic bottle, water bottle. I was drinking a couple of plastic, going through a couple of plastic water bottles a day. So I made a commitment to get my water from then on in a in a reusable container i bought a stainless steel water bottle mm-hmm. and i decided that if i forgot my water bottle <clears throat> i wasn't going to get a plastic water uh, my water in a plastic bottle and that made me really quickly remember to take the bottle with me every day and i i made a pretty big contribution to reducing my plastic waste by that decision and then that led me to other things that I decided to do. One of my favorite ones and the ones I've recommended to friends that they just love is the idea of the non-paper towel system. Basically, when you buy a roll of paper towels, I've never bought a roll of paper towels that didn't come in plastic packaging. And then the paper towels themselves um, are waste, right? And Mm -hmm. those are not recyclable. They can be composted, but they're paper towels are not recyclable. I, I so, didn't know about it. I thought they were recyclable. No, I, they are compostable, but the actual um, paper towel is too thin. I, in most jurisdictions, they ask you not to put the paper towels into the recycle bin. Mm. And so the solution I came up with, and there, there are a few different ver- varieties of this, but the one I came up with is I got myself a container, stainless steel little container that I put in the kitchen and I filled it with washcloths. Mm -hmm. And now we use those washcloths like we use paper towels. Uh, As soon as, you know, we wipe off the counter or something that's spilled, we put it in a, a, a little basket under the sink. And once we've collected quite a few, we put it in with our our dirty laundry. uh, So it doesn't add a lot to the laundry. We don't use paper towels anymore. And that's one of those things where you see the evidence almost immediately of how much less you're using because we used to go through a lot of paper towels every day. Mm -hmm. So it's those kind of things. Stephanie, uh, I want to tell you about a quote I chose for you. This quote is by Terry Swerigan, and she says, we are living on this planet as if we had another one to go. Do you agree with this? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't want to blame the consumer because I don't think it's the consumer that's to blame, but the consumer can be part of the solution. But we absolutely live as though we have many planets to use to live on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, whether you're talking about food waste or the resources that we, that that are used, that are mined um, in order to produce the consumer products, 
and, and just our way of life, we use those resources, we buy those products as though uh, we have lots to spare and we simply don't. So we, we really need to shift the way we live so that we're we're acting as though we're living on one planet, not five or seven planets. Yeah, that's a great quote. That's that's true. And what's your advice to not feel discouraged when you are trying to transition to a, let's say, zero waste lifestyle? Yeah, well, I, I think um, it's easy to find those quick wins. And I think so the, the first thing I would say is we all have to admit we can't get to zero. That's the most discouraging thing, I think, is this. And it's the only thing I don't like about the concept and the term zero waste living. It sets up a bar that is impossible to reach. Mm -hmm. And so I think the first thing to not be discouraged is to realize, even if you don't get to zero because you won't, that you can make a huge difference, a huge positive difference in your individual and your household carbon and waste footprints by just focusing on a few key things. Uh, maybe I can go back to the food waste example because it's so important as we said in terms of climate change. Food, the food waste problem can be solved it, at the household level. We are the biggest part of the problem in the US at least uh, and in many other developed countries and we can be a huge part of the solution. So food waste, my favorite hack or my favorite, you know, kind of piece of advice on trying to reduce your food waste is to do something I call the uh, daily fridge review. Mm. And the idea of this is that part of the reason we throw away so much food is we buy too much food and we don't actually use what we buy. So the key thing is you want to make sure you're actually eating what you're purchasing and you solve a lot of the problem we create if you know what's in your refrigerator. And the best way I know to have that knowledge is to do a regular review. You don't have to spend 10 minutes, an hour, just two to three minutes a day where you go in the fridge and your goal is to pull forward those things that are most likely to go bad soonest so that everybody in the household knows. I even have a shelf I've labeled eat me first. So everybody knows when they go to that shelf, those are the, that's when they open the fridge, that's what they should try to eat first. Uh, and I, and I think just doing that action alone, we've seen a dramatic uh, drop in our food waste. There are lots of other pieces of advice I give in the book about how to reduce your food waste. Mm -hmm. I also think it's really important to think about a plant-based diet. But again, here, a lot of people think, well, if I'm not going to go vegetarian or vegan, I might as well not even try. And by losing the nuance of the importance of just increasing your plant-based meals, you lose a large opportunity to reduce your carbon footprint of your diet. And so one of the things I, I mentioned in the book is this idea of the carbon intensity of food. It's great to talk about meat and vegetables, but it's not black and white. It's not that all meat is very carbon intensive. Beef and lamb, yes, those are very carbon intensive uh, meat products. But if you go to chicken, that is um, uh, so much less carbon intensive. Beef accounts for one kilo of beef uh, is responsible for 60 kilograms of carbon emissions, whereas chicken, 
it's 10 times less, only six. Uh, so if you go down to uh, the idea of eating fish and uh, especially wild caught fish, that's half as much as chicken. So every single meal is an opportunity to kind of vote for how you want to be um, influencing carbon emissions on this planet. That's how I like to think about it. My very next meal, I can make a difference. I will start choosing better, my meals better <laughs> from now on. <laughs> again, if we, if we get too extreme about it, if we say, well, I'm never going to have a hamburger again. Well, for, for people who aren't willing to go vegetarian, they may just throw their hands up and say, well, I might as well not worry about this because I'm never going to be a vegetarian. I really like the idea of the nuance and understanding how big a difference you can make by just choosing beef less often, choosing a hamburger less mm -hmm. often. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, it, uh, these are very good tips that you are giving us. And uh, uh, it's funny because uh, something made me surprised when I moved to Germany, for example, I saw that the fridges were super small. And I said, <laughs> can I, how can I survive with a fridge so small? So then I started understanding that it forced people to buy only what they need. It's very difficult to find a big fridge to, to buy in Germany. Or in yes. I, I think... I think that is absolutely right. It encourages people to buy less, but the I, I also think that I lived in France for a few years. Uh -huh. the The style of living is so different, where you've got marketplaces nearby almost always, and yes. it means you can shop for that day's food mm -hmm. and the next day's food, maybe, but you don't have to shop for a week or two, and therefore you don't bring home all this food and. And I think that helps reduce waste as well. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I also believe, I don't know if I'm wrong, but like, I don't know if it's because of COVID. I believe people are getting more educated to eat what it's available locally and seasonally. Maybe yes. it's because, yeah, because we are not having like flies coming back and forth and bringing different uh, food from other countries for example I love pomegranate and <laughs> I love it and that's in season from I think from se September to November I'm craving it now but I will need to wait until next September to be able to find it so yeah. do you agree that that maybe the COVID this all these problems that we are having now, it's collaborating somehow for this happening, to this happen? Yes, I, I think absolutely. And I think a lot of people have seen that as you have, as I have, and have grabbed that opportunity. I mean, we are, you know, with the virus, with, with the pandemic, we are many of us at home more than we ever have been before. Not everybody, but many of us. That means we're cooking more at home. It means we have an opportunity to, to understand the food waste we're producing. But I think you're absolutely right on the seasonality. We also, uh, I think, have this eye-opening uh, um, opportunity to see, well, maybe we should be buying the things that are in season. There are lots of good reasons to do that. I mean, first of all, when you buy things in season, 
uh, you contribute much less to the carbon footprint of what you're buying because that food has not had to travel so far to get to you. I mean, pomegranates may be more uh, frequent in the store after the pandemic, but still it would make sense for us to buy them in season. Then you've also got the fact that locally and seasonally produced food is uh, hardly ever packaged or much less frequently packaged in plastic or even packaged at all. So it gives you that opportunity to, to shop for those seasonal uh, fruits and vegetables that aren't in plastic. And then it just tastes better and it's healthier, right? Because it doesn't have to travel as far, doesn't lose the nutrients on the way. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I will admit, before I did the zero waste stuff that I'm doing now, I used to, oh, I was terrible. I, you know, if I wanted a tomato salad in January, I would just go buy tomatoes and plastic clamshells and I wouldn't think about it. Now I think about it. Yeah, this, uh, this is the best thing we can do from now on. As I said, I'm going to try to change something, <laughs> but how can we recycle better? Please tell me at least three ways to start. <laughs> Yes. Well, first, uh, it's important to know why we should recycle better. Uh, I mean, if we recycle better, then we're obviously not uh, getting virgin materials that, you know, whether it's metal or glass or the um, materials that are needed to be produced for plastic, which are so, you know, when plastic production facilities are very polluting and, and very bad for the people who live in the vicinity of those plants. So uh, it's important to recycle better for lots of reasons, but how do you do it is the question. I think I would say two things. One is it's really important to know what the rules are in your jurisdiction. So it, I wish I could say, well, you're in Spain, so you have the Spanish rules and I'm in, uh, in the US, so I have the US rules. Uh -uh. Unfortunately, it doesn't, it's not that simple. I live in Washington, DC. The rules in Washington, D.C. are different from the rules five miles away in Maryland. So it's it's important to know your rules. And it's not that hard to find them. You can usually in most jurisdictions, you can just Google um, and your jurisdiction will have a poster or a flyer or a, some kind of write up online that has the do's and don'ts because they want you to get it right. And th this is why they want you to get it right. When you don't you slow down the recycling process. It becomes much less efficient. You know, what they end up doing at these recycling facilities is they sort by material. So they, at least in my region, they sort in four categories, metals, plastic, glass, and paper and cardboard. And when you put things in the recycle bin that don't belong there, you do what's called contamination, whether it's the food that you've left on the container that ends up messing up the rest of the bin, or contamination can just mean you put the wrong thing in the bin and some things are worse than others. If you put plastic bags in the US anyway, into the recycle bin, that's the biggest no-no of all because these get stuck into the sorting machinery and sometimes they shut down the entire facility for several hours the workers are at risk because they have to go in with box cutters to try to get the plastic film out of the machinery so 
All this to say, it's really important to know the rules of recycling in your jurisdiction. And I would say, let's say in the U.S., 80% or so of the rules are the same across the U.S., but then you've got those little things that are different from one jurisdiction to another. So it's, it's worth spending the time figuring those out. And the thing that I recommend is that you do what's called a recycle bin audit, which sounds awful and boring, but it takes about 10, 15 minutes and you only have to do it once. And it basically means right before your recycle comes to be collected, when you've got it pretty full for the week, you lay those things out into those four piles I mentioned, the, the plastic, the metals, the glass, and the paper. And you do two things. You, you look at those piles with your list of what's acceptable and not acceptable. You make sure you're not putting things into the bin that aren't acceptable. But then the really, I think, exciting part of doing this otherwise boring process is you start to see where's your waste actually coming from, your recyclable waste at least. And it's eye-opening. You know, that's how I figured out we were going through a lot of cereal boxes and the plastic liners every week. Uh, and we found alternatives to that. Uh, we started making granola at home instead, which is really quick and really delicious, even better than the store-bought cereal. But you don't know what your waste streams are unless you take a close look at them. So the waste, the, the recycle bin audit is something I, I recommend to get a handle on that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I will check your um, uh, recipe for making granola at home because I love granola. But oh you yes, my fiance loves this recipe. He every time we run out of it, he says, "When are you going to make that again?" I put actually put the recipe in the book because it was such a hit with everybody I know. It's but it's so simple. It takes less than you know fifteen minutes to put it together, and then you just then you just bake it. Are you planning to do some workshops or are you writing more books about this theme? Yes. Well, I'm not writing any books right now, uh, but I'm sort of collecting comments uh, because I've noticed since I wrote the book that I, I interviewed a bunch of people in the book that were doing some really exciting things on uh, not just... Um, well, for example, on reuse, I, I interviewed a woman who started a company that helps take care of the uh, find a new home for the things that you that you can't reuse uh, yourself. Things like egg cartons or the takeout containers. Anyway, I've, I've discovered since I wrote the book, of course, uh, new companies that have come up. So someday, if I update the book, I've got some great things I want to add to the book. But I'm, these days, I'm really just trying to get the word out about how easy it is to make a big difference. I am speaking, um, you know, to, well, to podcasts like yours, as well as to universities and uh, to corporations interested in getting the word out about sustainability to their workforce. Uh, and I've started offering workshops on um, recycling. So those are the things I'm spending my time on these days and it's been a lot of fun I have to say wow you you your work is precious Stephanie and <laughs> thank you you are such an inspiration to us <laughs> so and Stephanie where can our listener find you well, on my website, I've got links to uh, different places where uh, uh, 
people can get the paperback or the um, ebook. Uh, my website is uh, zerowasteindc.com, www.zerowasteindc.com. Mm -hmm. And I'd be super happy if anyone wants to follow me on social media on Instagram, which is at zerowasteindc. I post almost weekly about a vegetarian cook-along that I do, which is a lot of fun and gives great recipes that I found that are easy and delicious to put on the table. I also have a recycling tip of the week that I post there. So I would love to interact with, uh, with, with folks, anyone who wants to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. And actually, I follow you. And I've been checking every day if we're putting new re uh, recipes. Now I know that's once a week. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> so, Stephanie, thank you very much for being here. I'm sure my listeners will be also inspired by you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you, Lucia. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.